So I'm going to go ahead and just let the cat out of the bag. This sermon is actually not about tithing. Um, It's actually called, it's not about the tithe. But we wanted to use that to set our trajectory for where we're headed. It's just for two Sundays. We have two Sundays talking about generosity, talking about giving. Not as much about personal finance or something like that, but just the general tenor of giving that God's people should have. Now I'm going to start this way. No one is asking me, like demanding that I talk about it, which is always nice, right? It's always when you're free to talk about it, it's better. So no one's saying, Hans, we really need a giving sermon because like money's tight, or we really need a giving, like no one's saying those kinds of things. So this was on the calendar months in advance. We, I didn't plan it to come the week after we put a roof on the church, like that's not, these things aren't timed like that, where we didn't know it was happening this past week, but it looks good, doesn't it? Like if you've noticed, like it's a nice looking roof. Uh, and I love talking about it because it's God's heart. Being generous is God's heart. And I think as a church, we often have some misunderstandings about it, maybe some confusion about it. And we're going to be in multiple passages today to build, hopefully briefly, a theology of giving, an approach to giving that recognizes we're under the new covenant. We have different expectations and what might those be. So it's kind of a two-parter. We're going to be heavily Old Testament bridge to Jesus at the end of today, and then next week looking at Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And so that's how we'll kind of move old into the new through two Sundays. But you might hate hearing about giving. <clears throat> if you have money or means, you already probably have a reason. People ask you for it all the time. doesn't matter who. You always just get somebody. Uh, buddy, my buddy was like, I made a mistake to donate to the Booster Club early in the season, and now I'm hounded. I should have waited until later in the season, because it's always now I'm the answer to all their problems. I think a couple of reasons we struggle with it is because it often feels like it's an obligation that is placed upon church members by church leaders, rather than something that comes from a place of joy. Another reason is that churches, like we said, only talk about giving and generosity when they need money. So you're trying to exact something. And we often, if, if money's tight, we usually mean, we, we, church leaders just in general, and I'm being a little bit jokey here, they'll view it as your fault, right? Like we'll go, we'll, go, well, if giving's tight, it must be because people aren't being generous. You know, without any consideration of, well, maybe we're just very bad spenders and planners. Like that, that could be the other side of it too. Like if your household budget's tight, do you blame your spouse? Maybe. Uh, but you also just might blame the fact that you're spending too much. Like that could also be a reason. So it feels that way. Uh, We have so many people asking us for money that we don't want to think about it. Well, that's not going to change, so we have to be discerning on it. We may not trust how churches use money. Maybe church, it feels like it's like this curtain that you cannot see behind. That's always our goal at Genesis. You'll even see the slide. It's like, here's how much we took in. Here's how much we spent. Here's our estimated budget. Like We're trying to just let you know that there's really no veil and have always tried to be open with anybody who has questions. And then I think there's another reason. Uh, is it's uncomfortable because maybe we've made bad decisions and we don't want to meddle with that. Maybe you've heard it put this way. There's, uh, there's multiple conversions that happen, not for salvation, but the mind and being convinced that Jesus is who he is, the heart and the wallet. Like, like, it's like, like money is often the last thing that gets adjusted as the Lord <laughs> begins to change our heart. And I even joke just pragmatically at churches is that there's an order people come and go from a church, and it goes like this, presence, wallet, wallet, presence. That's coming in and going out. 
So when people stop liking the church, they stop giving to the church, and then they usually stop attending it. And those go in, like, in that order. I show up, I start giving, I stop giving, I stop showing up. So I just want to say, not always the most fun conversation to have, but we're going to have a blast. And the reason is because there's no burden on us to meet a standard, to have an expectation. Jesus has freed us, so let's go to the Word and see what it says without, without the burden of feeling as if we have to do a certain kind of thing. Right? The way churches handle money now with bank accounts and facilities, that's different than it was centuries ago. So we're, like, we're in a different world. We're operating in different ways. And you probably have things that you give to that aren't the Genesis bank account. And that's fine too. So we want to talk about it freely and in a way that, that brings about hope. And I would also just say this. Because we get so screwy with it, we need a way to regain a good view of generosity. We need to regain it, reclaim it as something that is deep in the heart of God and thus should be deep in the heart of his people. Like that, that should be it. If you are a podcast listener, I would encourage you to just go at least for this week to our podcast. It's called The Genesis Daily. And we have five episodes scheduled this week where I interview our, one of our elders, John Weichbrot, and I just ask him five different questions about giving and generosity. Those are going to go one day a week, all week. They're already scheduled. And so if you would go subscribe to that, or even not subscribe because you don't have to listen beyond this week, but it's there usually five days a week, John will be there for that as a way to just keep it in our minds. And you can kind of hear how some of his heart for it as well and some of his experiences and the way he's, he's grown. And so that's coming. If you're a podcaster, you can probably find it pretty easily. If you're not, I'll help you. So here's where we're going to end today. We have to get there, though. We're going to end answering this question. How should knowing Jesus change our view? How should knowing Jesus change our view of a percentage or a, a calculation as the ultimate way of determining our heart condition, right? Like, how, how, did, how should knowing Jesus change, well, I give this so I'm good, right? Like, that, 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 that makes you feel like you've done good because you've attained to a certain level. And we'll talk in and around the idea of a tithe. We'll talk about just percentages because most of us are on an income that we can anticipate, and so it makes sense to be sure we're first fruiting that thing, but not in a certain way. So how does knowing Jesus change that? To get there, we're going to have to start in the Old Testament, find in that Old Testament the abiding principle that should kind of drive a lot of how we view generosity in general, and then look to Jesus. Okay, so those are our three things. We're going to go to the Old Testament. I have a lot of verses I'll read that won't be behind me. And then look at the one Old Testament principle that I think we should hold on to regardless of era, Old Testament, New. This is always true. And then move to Jesus. That's what we'll do. So let's start, you heard Nick read Malachi, but let's start right here in the Old Testament. Tithes and offerings, they were both commanded and they were voluntary offerings. So you understand that? God's law had an expectation placed upon his people, but at different times there were ways that he goes, now everybody whose heart stirred in them, we want you to give as well. And so that was a kind of a two-pronged attack, as you might say. I'll give you as we get into this, the tithe isn't the right mark, but we're going to talk about why that is first and foremost. First, what's a tithe? You might know this, but it's a tenth. For those of you who didn't know, I don't want you to be spooked by it. A tenth. A tenth of what you give. I'm not talking about a tenth of gross or a tenth of net or a tenth of corn. Most of you aren't corn farmers, I would assume. If you are, let me know. 
we need to make a gumbo. So, a tenth of all. You can see it in things like this in Leviticus. Leviticus 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed, not just money, is it? Of the seed of the land, of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. I mean, those, those of you with your abacus, get ready. There's a lot of numbers that we're going to see. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal, and all the pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Like, there's a whole way of worshiping and wondering and offering is that, like, it's a tenth. A tenth. Well, what if you have, I don't know, what if you have five heads of cattle? Do you give half of one to get it to 10%? Right, right? You can, if you try to do the math, you realize even the spirit there is like everything, right? The first fruits at a tenth is holy to the Lord, set aside. And the law has all kinds of ways of setting aside the firstborn, really built on the idea of the plague, the, the firstborn, the the plague of the firstborn at Passover and recognizing firstborn's all mine. And the Lord would even say, it's always mine. So God has always wanted first fruits. That exists before the nation of Israel even does. It's one of the reasons Cain and Abel didn't get along for long is some offering versus from his heart, right? That idea of from your heart versus, yeah, just hit a number. One thing the tithe did, which is different than, uh, different than often today, is that it would support the priests and Levites. It would actually be a part of like taxation to help accommodate the needs of the tribe that had no allotment to be sure that they could be covered. So the expectation was the people would give so that those who are ministering on behalf of the nation could live. <clears throat> and it wasn't just work. Like at times they would even, like, God gets this portion of the offering, but the Levite can eat this portion of the offering. Just They, they can have food. You see this in Numbers 18, 18 verse 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. You hear it? I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for the service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. Uh, so the way that they would operate, they were receiving their allotment of food and provision, their expectation would be from the nation that was giving. Well, that's not how today works. We're not the nation of Israel. We don't, we don't, you don't give so that the priests and Levites can all contribute and we can do our things. And we're not always funding the same kinds of worship and we don't have a centralized place of worship. The faith of the gospel is actually decentralized. God's spirit lives in everybody. Right? All who believe have salvation, and God is building up his people into a temple. So we're in a different era, and we have different things. But you see, again, the precedent of generosity, first fruits, setting aside for the support of worship, for the work of the ministry. That's already beginning in the Old Testament. In fact, John will even get into the numbers with a little more detail in, I think, tomorrow's podcast episode. But some would even argue that it's not just a tenth, that other times you bring an additional tenth, and then you bring an additional tenth. And some might find it even gets over 20% of giving is kind of an expectation of the nation. Deuteronomy 14, you shall tithe, oh, this is verse 22, you shall tithe all the yield of seed 
that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil and the firstborn uh, of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long so that you are not able to carry the tithe, then the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far where you will go to worship. Because the place is too far where your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money. Sell whatever you are bringing if it's too far to carry. Turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. And spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. You shall eat there before the Lord. You'll worship. You'll rejoice. If it's too far of a journey, sell. Then go with money and turn the money back into things and then rejoice. Then celebrate. Because the whole system God had set up for his people revolved around worship. The support of that worship and the people who were doing it. The provisions of the temple. And then you have like Deuteronomy 14.28. The end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up with your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who are in your towns, shall come and be filled. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work that your hands will do. So it's kind of like, well, did every third year do I do another tenth? Right? The, the math that we try to figure out to go, what, what does this mean? And it's not just that, but what you have is a minimum expectation in the Old Testament that God's people would give a tenth of everything. Jesus actually gets mad at them for that in the New Testament. because He's like, you give a tenth of everything, but basically your hearts don't care at all. This is what human hearts do with laws. We'll learn more about that in a moment. But we go, oh, okay, I'm doing this, so I'm good. I've accomplished this, so I'm good. I'm I'm generous in this way, so I'm good. We give something, so I'm good. If the sentence is, I active verb blank, so I'm right with God, it's the wrong sentence. It's, it's, the, wrong, it's the wrong way of viewing it. So we have this concept of a tithe, and this has somehow gotten ported in. I can tell you one reason it gets ported into church language, even though the New Testament doesn't really talk about it in any kind of positive way. The reason it gets ported in is because Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything. Abraham found this priest Melchizedek and tithed everything to him. So some would argue the tithe predates the nation. And since it predates the nation, it is, it is an abiding expectation that God has. But there's actually no, no New Testament control of even that idea that because Melchizedek did this, thus you should also always do 10% of everything. It really was an expectation of the law that included worship, in a sense taxation, the provision of needs to the poor, the provision of the needs to the priest. It was doing a lot for the economy of Israel and for their worship. And so we can't just port in a term, Old Testament, into the New and assume that it's going to accomplish the same kind of thing. But our hearts love rules. We love to make them and we love to follow them and we love to have them make it feel better for us. But again, it wasn't just the tithe in the Old Testament. There were also offerings at times when people would give not just money but skills and things to the worship 
of God's people. Exodus 35, as they're thinking about the tabernacle. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils, and the lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen of the door, and the door of the tabernacle, the altar, I mean, I'm running out of breath, the altar of the burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, all its utensils, and basin, and its stand, the hangings of the court, <gasps> the pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments of ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son. Sons and their service in the priests. Okay, we're going to stop there. It sounds like a long list, doesn't it? You're just like, oh my gosh, that's a lot to build. That's a lot to do. That's kind of exhausting. It's a lot to read. Every single one of these was an opportunity to worship by using your gifts and your skills to create the place God's people were to worship in the tabernacle. We can kind of get mired down in the details, but it goes back to let every skillful craftsman among you which again demonstrates that God has endowed even his people with not just money, but skills. Kind of broadens even the idea of generosity, doesn't it? That we don't want to even hoard our skills, our gifts from one another, but to bring them to bear in the health of the life of God's people. Exodus 35 continues in verse 20, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came Look at this line in verse 21. Everyone whose heart stirred him. Everyone whose heart stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. And for all its service. And for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings. Brooches? 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 I'm going to screw that one up every time because we don't wear them in our house. Signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns of fine linen and goat's hair or tan ramskins and goatskins, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it, and everyone who possessed acacia wood for any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred used their skills, spun the goat's hair. And all the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece and the spices for the oil, for the light, for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. All the men, the women, the people of Israel whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. You hear the term freewill offering to the Lord and not commanded, not demanded, not expected that at times the nation of Israel it was whatever you have, and people were bringing their, you know, in our estimate, their watches and their rings, and they were going melt it down and use what you need. If you need this, take this. The similarity shows up in passages like Acts 2 or Acts 4, where the, the church was selling homes and bringing the proceeds to provide for the needs of the ministry. Just the abundance and the overflow and the expectation. It's interesting when you can find those kinds of similarities where everyone whose heart stirred contributed to the needs. 
everyone who desired to do it. So we, again, when we talk about tithes and offerings, tithes were expected bound giving that the nation was to do. Offerings were these ideas of free will, generosity, as your heart stirred, as you are able. And God's whole calendar and system included opportunities to both tithe and offer. It was a way to provide for the worship of the nation. And it was a way to provide for the needs of the poor, even of the fields. Let gleaning happen. That's where the story of Ruth becomes so important with Boaz. They leave some of the food in the field as they've worked through it so that the poor could come and eat and be fed. So there was a principle built into the nation of giving and generosity, but not just so that you're good, so that your people, God's people, may flourish, his name may be known, the nation may be provided for, the worship can happen as it ought to happen. And so again, both expected, but also at times free will. And so Nick read from Malachi, and what you see in Malachi, and Malachi is likely the last book of the Old Testament. We're in the remnant land and the returns, and there's 400 years from Malachi to Jesus. And God is speaking of, through Malachi, the promise of his restoration of his people. But what have the people done? They have not been obedient to give. They haven't been obedient to give and to to be generous and to tithe. And so God comes and calls it in verse 8 of Malachi chapter 3, robbery. You're robbing me. Because it's an expectation that even his people would operate as God had laid out. And if you do give, if you do give all, You'll be blessed. You'll be overflowing. You'll be provided for. But again, stingy hearts aren't generous, are they? So Malachi shows that this disobedience was hated. I'm going to talk positively and negatively about what we see here. I think positively, you see the support of worship, like we said, the provision for those in need. The expectation at times of free will and the giving Negatively, as we've already discussed, is what our hearts can do when we read about that is to port in that expectation and then go, I'm good because I tithe. And I'll put this little footnote, if you could say Hans is making a footnote here. Uh, In our household, we use percentages, but it's not like because God says you must. It's because we kind of can predict our income. We know know in general what it's going to be, and so we we set even goals because I know I'm not going to outgive God, and so we'll set expectations, and we want to even grow in our ability to be generous. And so I do look at that as a way to help me, but it's not so that God goes, hey, you're killing it, Hans. I'm really proud of you. Right? Like, I'm really proud that you, you're giving so generously, or stingily, whatever that might be, if I brought it before him. But we do use that, and I want to see if I'm growing. And at times, if your giving is here, and then you have a child, and your expenses go up, and your giving holds, you feel that sacrifice, don't you? 
You feel the sacrifice when your life stays changed and kids get older and milk gets more expensive or eggs get more expensive and you're like, let's, let's hold the line. Or you go, oh, because what happens? Oh, I'm good. And you go, I was given here, but if I kind of, since price, this is what the human heart does. Since prices have gone up like 15% over you know, the past little while with inflation, if I reduce my giving, but not by 15%, I feel like I'm still being more generous. Like, like We'll do all these kinds of things to create rules for ourselves because we love rules. We love laws that help us feel as if we're being okay. It's harder than that. We talked about how we'll have an Old Testament, just tithes and offerings, and we're going to go to a principle. That principle broadens our understanding before we get to what the Lord Jesus frees us of. And the principle is one verse in one psalm, Psalm 24.1, and I'm going to read this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The principle, lest we forget, is that everything, everything is God's. There is, it's, this, is, this is what the law does to us if we abide by it in the wrong kind of way. We go, well, uh, God gets 10, and I get 90. And I can do whatever I want with that 90. I can make bad decisions. I can make good decisions. As long as I'm not regularly running heavy deficits, I'm good. But that actually has such a small view of God, doesn't it? It's like God's a dog we have to feed. And just go, well, let's just go put the food out there so the dog doesn't growl at me. I mean, it treats God as so small and so needy. Like God needs 10 no, what we need to do is realign our hearts because God owns everything. He owns everything. He owns the 100 and is concerned about what a human heart does with the 100. Not just with 5 or 10 or 12 or 20. And I have people in my life who are like, they're giving 20% of what they're able. 20%, that's awesome. I'm like, double it. I don't know, like, like what, what would happen? Like, like, I just love that. But their view is, this is all God's. It's all God's. And there are things that we do as believers where we support different kinds of work in different kinds of ways, but that thinking that God has given me X percent to live on and X percent for him is law-based thinking that harms our ability to worship and short-circuits the thinking about everything that we have. This includes, for those of you in this room who don't earn money, it would exclude you. So it includes how we think about everything, how you would share your toys, your games, your time with people. Everything belongs to God. And if you have to somehow get a job before you can be generous, then you're mistaking what generosity really is, which is a whole way of being core to what a Christian is because we reflect a generous God. Your home is something God has given to you to be generous with. Your job, your skills, 
something God has given to you to be generous with. Because it's all God's. It's all God's. And we miss this. Your career, also God's. Your passions, also God's. All God's. A law mind toward everything reduces God into just some kind of little g God that we must appease so that we can live our lives in the way that we want. It doesn't recognize just how present and big and concerned he is with all of his people and all that they do, how they support, how they serve. At times we give financially, disciplined. We talk more about some of those structures next week, but how we treat each other, what we do with our time, what we do with the gifts God's given us, how we use our home, how we use our vehicles. I get so nervous, you know, like, because at times, by God's grace, like, our cars aren't in the shop all the time anymore, so that's a, you know, huge answer to prayer. But every time I would, you know, talk to the elders about it, John, of all people, would be like, if you need a car to drive around with, like, just take one of ours. Like, like it's fine. Dusty's out of town. You know, I'm like, bro, Googers drive, like, 10-year-old vehicles. I don't think you want me to, I, I might break it. And the funny thing, like, he doesn't care. Like, he's not concerned. Like, like, my concern is not that you break it. I'm, like, it's, I'm not going to let you loan. I still haven't borrowed a car of John's ever. I'm like, no, we'll be okay. I'll just make Matt take me places. Like, that's what I'll do. Matt will just drive me around. I'll ride a bike. I'm a biker. I'll buy a bike somewhere. So we have that law idea. Tithes and offerings. There's commanded ways to do it. There's free will ways to do it to support what's going on. We need to recognize that in the right mind and the right heart, everything is God's. Everything is God's. Now, we see this reflected in the Lord Jesus, don't we? Because Jesus will even say things. If you were with us in the Gospel of John, he will say things like, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. I don't do anything. I live my life based upon how my Father would have me live my life. It's hard in the New Testament not to talk about giving without looking at how Paul talks to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we'll actually be in both of those, but briefly. And in this, Paul, especially in 2 Corinthians, that's what we'll look at today, chapter 8. In this, Paul is, is raising money. Paul is an excellent fundraiser. He really is. He can talk about money. He talks about what churches have given. Like He, he, he graciously pitched churches one against another. He's like, hey, they're real generous, and they're poor, so you better be extra generous. Like, don't make me, don't make me look bad. I've told them you're great. Like, he has this kind of way because it really is for how the Apostle Paul, a man who was persecuting Christians and then was changed by Jesus, like it's changed all of how he thinks. And so they're raising money for churches in need. And there were multiple times the Jerusalem church needed money and he was going around and raising it. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find this long list of people toward the end of the third missionary journey. They're all trying to give money back. Like they're all supporting the work that's going on. And so he's trying to help them understand why it's so good to be generous. And if you're, if you're familiar with 1st or 2nd Corinthians, the Corinthians, they had some problems. Not unlike our problems. They had maturity problems and selfishness problems. They had the approval of sin problems. They had the mistreatment of one another problems. They, 
they liked to create factions. They had certain podcast apostles they liked more than others. And they just kind of liked to make their sections and their divisions. And Paul's trying to correct it. And then, then they started to think, well, Paul's kind of a, a, a foolish guy anyways. We don't really need to listen to Paul. And Paul wrote multiple appeals to the Corinthians, at least three, perhaps four. We have two of them in the scriptures. And listen to how he talks to them about this, this opportunity that is before them to give in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. And listen to even how his heart is communicating something that he wants them to realize. I say this not as a, what is that word? Say it out loud. Not as a command. Interesting. That actually doesn't remove the weightiness of his statement. I say this not as a command, this being the giving, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. I say this not as a command, but to... Prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. And love in this instance was a demonstration to meet the needs of church, a church that needed help. Love was tied to their giving in this. I am going to not command it, not exact it, but to give you the opportunity to demonstrate that your love is genuine. And he gives them the why. Why would your love be genuine? And look at where he goes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, that would be in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, though he was rich for your sake, the sake of the sinner, became poor, so that you by his poverty, the incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, for you by his poverty might become rich, have salvation. So you can even follow the logic that Paul has here. I am not demanding. He'll even say in certain letters, I could command this of you. If you're with us and you're doing our reading plan, you saw something similar in Philemon where he talks about the need to command. But he won't. I'm not going to I'm not going to do it. I want you to do it. I'm going to explain why I want you to do it. So the meeting of the needs of the broader church community, not the Corinthian bank account. And Paul's saying <clears throat> two things. This is a demonstration of your genuine love for others, verse 8. And this is a reflection of Christ's heart and what he has done, verse 9. This is where we can get to that point. <clears throat> it's so important for us to realize as we think about generosity is that rules don't make us generous, but Jesus does. Rules don't make us generous, but Jesus does. Because if you're a rule-based giver, then you're hoping in some capacity that you are going to be blessed by God if you attain to a certain mark. And legalism for us often does two things. The flesh and legalism are, are bedfellows. Legalism does two things. Usually the creating of laws to gain God's favor, to curry God's favor, to assume that God is pleased with you. Legalism does two things. It reduces the standard of holiness God has. 
and really disregards the grace that we need. And so if you create a rule about giving, or if, even if we as a church create hard and fast rules about giving, if we are not careful, what have we done but created burdens to place on a congregation? Now, this is where, this is where I'm going to struggle. Because as a pastor, I want all of us to be thoroughly generous. Not just into the church bank account. Like, that's not, that's not my only concern. But with our lives. There are probably missionaries and ministries that you support or could support that aren't Genesis missionaries. That's also generosity. Perhaps you have a part of your budget that isn't, you know, in the tax-deductible sign that includes side that includes buying friends groceries or meeting specific needs that they have or just blessing them in certain ways. All of that is because God owns 100. 100. But on the other side, I also know this, because we're Americans. Americans are often stingy in regard to stuff. We're incredibly wealthy, but we're also very stingy. Our hearts like our wealth, and we like to produce, we like to consume, and we like to make things about us. I said to my kids yesterday or the day before, I said, we live like kings. Most everybody here does. You are the envy of previous generations from centuries past. We live in such affluence that we think generosity is a number. And if we create it as a number, that actually doesn't investigate the heart. Jesus makes us generous because it frees us from this burden of God-pleasing by doing certain things. But honestly, what might happen when we meet Jesus and we surrender our wallets to him is he... We, we have a response like Zacchaeus. I'm going to pay everybody back fourfold for the ways I've mistreated them. It actually would put in us perhaps the burden to be even more generous than we have been. To be more thoughtful in how we spend and in what we do. Because we have that capacity realizing I will never be able to do for others what Jesus has done for me. I'm not even trying to do that anymore. I'm not trying to please God. I already have pleased God. So now what do I want to do? By his spirit, reflect him. Reflect him in how I give of my time. And how I offer my skills. And how I give of my funds. I want every member of generous to be a generous genesis. Generous, that's fine, we'll call this generous church. I want every member to be that. I do. Why? Because it puts God on display. It doesn't put Genesis on display. It's not, it's not like, well, we're great. But it teaches us that it's not about us. It's about all is God's. Rules don't make us generous, Jesus does. And the one who has never hoarded, that would be Jesus, was never stingy, was never unloving, always purposeful, always right, always true. The one who has never hoarded 
frees us from even our sin of hoarding and the feelings of law-abiding to gain God's favor. In tomorrow's podcast episode where I asked John straight up, you know, hey, why do we talk about tithes so much in churches? Or why is that? We don't talk about it here. But like, why is that a dominant theme that if you've been churchy for a while, you usually feel? I asked him that question, and he's like, it baffles me. Like, I really don't know. Like, I'd love it if we start with 10 and go up from there. That'd be great. You know, but like, why, why a number? And what happens if you can't hit 10? Is God mad at me? No. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. But our disposition should always be generous with all that we have because all is God's. We're freed from the law. We don't have burdens that make us have to obey certain things in order to get there. In fact, I'll give you an example from the uh, New Testament. <clears throat> we familiar with Ananias and Sapphira in here? If we're not, we should be. That's a great story. All the churches are giving all kinds of money. Yeah, let's give, let's give, let's give. People are selling stuff and they're putting it at the apostles' feet. And they're doing this. Ananias and Sapphira are like, hey, let's get in on this game. I love this. What we're going to do is we're going to sell our house sell some property, we are going to give some of that money to the apostles. We're going to say it is everything, but it's actually not going to be everything. Well, spoiler alert if you haven't read it, they both die, fall down dead. But I want you to go back and read Acts 5, and you're going to see Peter say this to them. It was yours. It was your money. You could have done with it what you wanted. The issue was not that they withheld some portion. The issue was that they lied to God. They wanted to appear more generous than they were. They wanted to come across as more generous than they were. That was the issue. The issue was not the issue was not the amount. The issue is the heart. The gospel message always deals with the heart because we are only changed from the inside out. We want, if you were with us years back for the book of James, right standing and right living are both considered righteousness. Very often we only have positional in our minds, meaning right standing with God, but from right standing comes right living. Where Paul often speaks about right standing, James really expected right living. And so we see this back and forth, but generosity is a part of right living as we walk with God. And this is where I can't help you, because I don't know your situation. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I always want us to be challenging generosity. In fact, some of the ways I am most benefited is when I can talk to people about their habits of generosity because it often challenges me. I'm feeling that right now. As I was talking to John, I was like, ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking of things even in my own life that might need to adjust in the coming months. I didn't really like that part of the talk. But as we talk about it with open hearts, the Lord can challenge even that. But I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. I don't know the condition of your heart. Sometimes size does not equal generosity. Sometimes it does. We'll see next week at the widow's offering. Jesus says she gave more than everybody. 
because he was looking at a condition of the heart and not an amount of money. So a large gift that somebody might give to the church or anywhere may not actually be demonstrative of generosity. It feels that way, but you don't know the heart of the giver. Some people, don't they use money as a tool to get what they want? Then that's not generous. That's not, it's not actually generous. I'll give you $50,000 if. That's a law. We've created that. If you act in this way or if you hire this person or if you. When we do those kinds of things, then we have lost the joy of giving and have created a burden of law. Because I don't know your hearts, I don't know where you are, I don't know where your life is, this is what I would like for you to do over the course of this week is just go before the Lord. If you're married, talk to your spouse. If you have a family, talk with your kids because they need to hear these conversations too. I talk with my kids about what we give and how we give and why we try to pursue it the ways that we do because I want them to know our pursuits and our heart as a family and our own commitments. Talk with your spouse. Talk with your family if your kids are at a spot where they can kind of comprehend what you're doing and just ask yourself this question. I'm not going to know the answer. Come back with your answer in your own heart. Am I a law-based giver or a freedom-based giver. That's all, I want. That's all I want you to do. Go before the Lord and go, do I really give because I think it's going to benefit me or do I give because I want to reflect the heart of Jesus? Is giving a burden or is giving a blessing? Burden is, ugh, ugh I hate you. It's like it, if giving's a burden, you probably wait to see how much money you have at the end of the month and then give based off of that. You're going to kind of cover all your expenses and you begrudgingly write a check or do something or find a way to be generous because you haven't disciplined yourself to think about generosity as a first fruits. But because I don't know your position, I just want you to go before the Lord and go, where am I on this? What is my heart toward my life? Am I law-based or freedom-based? And then come back next week and we'll talk about Jesus' heart and Paul's heart and keep building on this idea of what does God really want from his people. We'll see what Jesus lifts up as generous. We'll see how Paul speaks about it. And then from that, we can begin to develop, hopefully by God's grace, just even principles that we can abide by moving forward. Even talking to John a couple weeks ago when we recorded those episodes, it was a reminder to me that I need to investigate my own heart. There are times where I go, I think I'm good here, and I might be. But just even the investigation before God to go, is this behavior generous in a way that reflects what you've done for us? Is it it giving and generous in the right kinds of ways and in the right directions? Are we prioritizing the right kinds of things? And I realized in that conversation, I have many ways I can grow. But I'm free to grow in those ways. I'm not going, oh, man, I got to do these three things too. I'm just going, how... How wonderful that I'm being challenged to consider how to make my heart fall more underneath the lordship of Jesus. How wonderful that, that I, that I got to think about this versus, oh man, here it comes again. Paycheck and what I give. So law-based or freedom-based, that's what I want you to ask. Would you-